Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to be here with you. Um, if you don't know, Joel, um, our pastor, is on vacation, and so um, I am excited for the opportunity to share with you today. Um, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Ashley Green. Um, I have a new life in Christ, and I am in recovery for a lack of trust in God that manifests itself as pride, a need for control, and anxiety. Every Tuesday, I sit in a circle with about 15 other women, and I introduce myself like that. That's because every Tuesday for the last six months, I have attended a ministry called Regeneration. Regeneration is um, a ministry that is for people that want to deal with their hurts, habits, and their hang-ups. Um, in this, in this um, group and in this ministry, we are working through the 12 steps of recovery. These are a lot like the 12 steps that you would find in Alcoholics Anonymous, in Narcotics Anonymous, and many other step groups. The curriculum was written based um, on Scripture to use Scripture and Christ as our hope and our source for redemption and for healing. Um, like I said, I've been going for the last six months. I'm nowhere near done. Um, People attend regeneration for a lot of different issues, like anger, um, substance abuse, an addiction to pornography, fear of man, pride, lots of things. And today, I just want to talk about, um, as I often do when I have the opportunity to come up here, I just want to talk about what God's been teaching me lately um, with the hopes that it would encourage you as well. By no means do I have things figured out but I am just on this journey. And so I just wanna share with you what God's taught me on this journey. And so before, um, before I really get started, would y'all just pray with me, please? God, I thank you that you are a holy God. I thank you that um, when we mess up and when we hang on um, to sin and hurt, Lord, that you don't give up on us. God, I pray um, ultimately that today that my voice would be very small and that yours would be um, very big and evident. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, some of you may wonder, well, Ashley, how did you end up needing to go to like region? Um, and, and I'll be very honest. So you know you, what well, we all lived it, right? 2020 was what was considered an unprecedented year. We all know that. And in fact, the Washington Post, they um, put a poll out to their readers and asked them, hey, can you give us some words how you would describe the year of 2020? And there were three words that consistently came up, and those were exhausting, lost, and chaotic. People said things like, um, all of the challenges have been like drawn out, slow motion car wrecks. This is exhausting. This was the lost year. Our life was put on hold. The hits just keep coming, and the chaos was relentless. Like I said, there, um, that's not a surprise to us. We have lived it. Some of us are still living with the, the effects of what 2020 um, looked like in our families. But if I'm totally honest, 2020 was not like the worst year for us. It really wasn't that bad. My husband, Chase, he was furloughed for a bit, um, but it wasn't too long. And, and I mean, he got his job back, and um, that's been great. We have three small kids, and so every day is chaotic. It, that, there wasn't that much of a change there. Um, to, to be honest, we kind of enjoyed the slower pace of life, the extra time in the backyard. We got to know our neighbors really well. We went on a lot of family walks. It was kind of a sweet time, which, I, I mean, I feel guilty because some people went through some really hard times. 
Um, but, but even through that all, there was a wrestling in my heart of like, actually, this isn't it. Like, there's something more. There's something missing. And, and I've had seen friends that have done regeneration and completed the whole program, and I had seen God do amazing works in their lives. And so about six months ago, towards the beginning of the year, I said, okay, I'm just, I'm, all I'm doing is my next right thing. I'm going to go to the one week. I'm going to try it. I'm going to go to one week. And I went, I went, I went to the welcome class. I heard about um, the commitment. They said it takes 12 to 18 months. You'll, there'll be daily homework. It's about 30 minutes a day. You'll be meeting with a group. You'll be talking about some intense stuff. You'll have to get a mentor, which is much like a sponsor. And so I heard about all this. I came home. I talked to my husband about it, explained to him, like, hey, I'm going to be gone every Tuesday night. I'm going to be um, doing this, this homework every single day. I'm going to be working through some hard things. We prayed about it, and then we just, I decided, okay, I'll go back. I'll commit to this. And, and um, when, when you first start, that first week, you learn about that introduction, that introduction that you're supposed to do. And so I started off saying, hi, my name's Ashley. I have a new life in Christ because it's important that your identity is not in your hurts and your hangups. Your identity is a, is a new life in Christ. I have a new life in Christ. And I would say, and I'm in recovery for people pleasing. But then I started to do the work and I started to pray Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 that says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. When I started to pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit started to reveal some of the deeper issues that I needed to surrender. Step one says that you or we are to admit that we are powerless over our addictions, our brokenness, and our sinful patterns. And that in our power, our lives are unmanageable. Step two says that we are to believe that God is the one whose power can fully restore us. And step three, it says, is when we decide to trust God with our lives and be accepting of his grace through Jesus Christ. Well, when I started working through step three, that's when I realized that there was a lot more going on than me worrying, than me needing control there was a lot more in my need for wanting people to like me. I had a deeply rooted issue that came back to a lack of trust in God. In the curriculum, it says that, um, but sometimes we aren't looking to know and love God. Sometimes we're just waiting for God to fix our circumstances. Though Jesus is Lord of our eternity, you have not let him be Lord of today. And when I read that, I thought, well, shoot, that's it. I had no doubt about my eternity, no doubt that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was risen three days later so that I could spend eternity with him. I have no doubt about that. But when it came down to the day-to-day, -to, -day, to my marriage, my kids, my kids' futures, our finances, our family, our church, did I trust the Lord with that? Well, not as much as I thought I did. And so step three was this big aha for me, this big like breaking point of like, okay, Ashley, are you really going to do this? Are you, are you really willing to try to trust the Lord with all the things? And then I started step four. And if you know anything about steps, step four is when you do your inventory. And, and that's to me, I'm, I am six weeks into working on step four and it is very hard. Because in step four, you're, you're writing out and you're thinking of and you're reliving all the hurts and resentments in your life. And I had heard through, through different um, like addiction groups and, 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 and even in region that a lot of people quit at step four. And, and I was like, I get it. 
because this is hard. Because the truth is, as I, as I started to, to think about these things and rehash these things, part of me was like, why am I doing this? I have managed for 35 years suppressing these things and pretending like they're not there. Why are we bringing it all up now? But I felt like God was speaking to my soul and saying, Ashley, I can handle this. Can you trust me with this? Because I have so much more for you than you hanging on to this. And I was recently talking to one of my region leaders and I said, I wish everyone would do this. I wish everyone would do something like this. Not in a, hey, let's point out the speck in your eye while forgetting about the plank in mine. But as I have started to walk this path and tasted just a glimpse of the freedom that Christ offers, I'm like, I want, I want everybody around me to experience that. I want everybody around me to experience that freedom. And she said, well, Ashley, as believers, as people who claim to follow Jesus, we're called to that. We are called to pursuing holiness. Maybe not, a, maybe not region specifically, but we are, calling to deal, we are called to deal with our stuff. 1 Peter 1 verses 13 through 16 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We, as followers of Christ, we know that God loves us. God cannot love us any more or any less than he does right now. He's not mad at us, mad at us when we mess up. Joel talked about this last week, about the importance of their relationship with Jesus, that here at CPC, we say that it is relationship over religion. It is because of our relationship with Jesus that we are set free from sin and from death because of Jesus. But we are called from death to life, from death to holiness. Peter tells us here to be sober-minded. That means to be clear thinking. He says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't mess around with the same sins that you've always been messing with. Some of us are walking around chained to things that we have been holding on to since before we even knew Jesus. And we don't even know that we can have freedom from those. And I believe that that was what that nagging of the Holy Spirit was telling me all of 2020, saying, Ashley, now's the time. We need to deal with this. You gotta work through this because you, Ashley, you are still doing the same people-pleasing, fear-driven, control-seeking things that you did before you knew me as your savior. I have so much more for you. And look, we are not going to reach perfection. I know that, right? We're never going to see perfection and true 100% holiness this side of heaven. But if I'm honest, that wasn't my problem. That's not my problem as I continue this journey. I didn't start asking God to release these chains in my life because I was seeking perfection. I didn't think I was gonna be without sin. If I'm honest, I realized, I don't know the last time that I asked God to release these chains. Was I even pursuing freedom? When was the last time that I went to God with a repentant heart and not a regretful heart? There's a difference there. So if, and if we look at Romans 6, 1 and 2, it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? How can we who die to sin still live in it? John Owen, who was an early church father and theologian, he said, we must be killing sin or sin be killing us. 
If we look at another text in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10, this is Paul speaking, and he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul makes it very clear here who he's talking to. He is talking to those that have been raised with Christ. And that's who I, if you do not yet know Jesus Christ as your savior, you are not called to holiness. But let today be the day that you, you, want, you, you want that freedom and that you experience the freedom from your sin and death. But to those of us that claim to claim Jesus as our Savior, who want to serve him and love him, want to teach our kids to know him, we are called. This is what this, Paul is saying. This is what we are called to. We are talking here about sanctification. And sanctification means to be made holy. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. The Greek here refers to the process of becoming holy. It is a process. It's not immediate. The only finish line is heaven. But it's also understand that we, that we understand what Paul is saying in verses 3 and 4 when he says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Our adoption and our justification have already happened. If you, if you have stood up and said, Jesus is my Savior, that has already happened. Our adoption into God's family is done. It can't be reversed. Our justification, our being made right before the Lord is done. You, that can't be undone. But Paul is trying to tell us here is the Holy Spirit is trying to make us more holy. Not positionally holy. That, hap- that already happened. When we claim Jesus our Savior, that happened. Our position, our, our position as an heir of the kingdom is done. You can't, you can't take it back. can't be snatched out of his hand. But we are to seek things that are above, not things that are on earth, like it says in verse 2. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be, re- be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We have to make a conscious decision to set our mind on things that are, that are above. Sober-minded, like First Peter said. Now, think about it when you move. When you move and you get to a new house and you're going home at the end of the day, you have to almost consciously tell yourself, I have to turn this way to the new house, not that way to the old house. When Chase and I first got married, we moved a lot those first few years. We lived in three apartments and one house in the first three and a half years of our marriage. And at one point, we, we had an apartment in Carrollton, but we had just bought a house in Garland, and I was teaching at a school in Garland. And I get in the, in the car at the end of the day, and I start driving down the side roads of 190, because Lord knows I do not want to pay tolls. And I get, I'm going down the side roads, heading out to Carrollton, and I get almost to Dallas North Tollway, and I realize, oh, we don't live here anymore. And so I have to turn around and go back. But going back and forth down 190, that was my natural thing to do. That was autopilot. It was, it was totally normal and natural for me to go back and forth. It was that habit, right? 
until I made a change. And then after that, I had to almost consciously tell myself, like verbally out loud, and when I get in the car at the end of the day, Ashley, you live in Garland. You don't live in Carrollton. You go this way. You don't go that way. Verse 5 tells us that we have to put to death what is earthly in us. This is when we find ourselves and we're about to turn right towards immorality, towards sin, towards those hang-ups. And we have to tell ourselves, we have to put those things to death and we have to say, no, I will go this way. I will talk myself into turning that way. And there comes a point where we don't have to do that anymore, right? There comes a point where you, have to, you don't have to tell yourself, don't go this way, go this way. And this is why reading and knowing your Bible is so important because the Bible is our guide to know what is right and what is left. But my concern is that we are not taking our own um, holiness seriously. And maybe we're not considering it at all. Because sin that is not dealt with, even in a believer's life, sin that is not dealt with is destroying marriages, families, and careers every day. And we're not doing anything about it. If something is pulling our affection away from the Lord, if it is pulling from our desire to serve and love the Lord, why would we not cut that out of our lives? And I can't make a list and say, well, this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do outside of what is laid out in the Bible because everybody's things would be a little different. But, but we have to pursue what is God calling us to. Now, there are hurdles to this sanctification though. It's, it's, it's not easy for me to just stand up and just say, hey, go and be holy, right? There are hurdles to it. There are things that make that hard. One is that we, we want to triage our symptoms. We, we, want to, we want to deal with the symptoms rather than the heart issue. We want to identify those symptoms, treat those symptoms, and not the disease that's going on in our lives. This most often reveals itself in relational strife and conflict like our marriages, our friendships, our coworkers, maybe your connect group. If it, but these, this, these pain points are where God is working and where God is trying to reveal something about ourselves. We see this when people get a new friend group every year because they, they, get, they go to this friend group and, well, they betrayed me, they hurt me, they wronged me. It's all about them. It's not about, I, have, I did nothing wrong. And so they, we go and we find another friend group. But you want to know what's actually going on in your heart? Be known by people. When, we, when you truly know someone and someone truly knows you, that those things in your heart will be revealed. No one realizes how selfish and entitled they are until you get married and you have kids. Until someone else has, has a say over your time. And what you do, then you realize how really selfish you are. But this is why we avoid community, why we avoid being fully known. But that's not what we're called to. For Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. But when conflict arises in our relationships, instead of digging in into our own hearts and saying, what is my part here? What, what can I own here? Instead, we want to say, well, I will be an expert in my strengths and in their weaknesses. This friend group has too much drama, so I'm going to go find this. I'm going to go to this friend group who doesn't have drama, and they value me and they appreciate me. Until you realize, oh wait, they have drama too, and so now now we have conflict here, and so I'm going to go find this friend group. But what if the heart of the problem is a problem of our hearts? 
If it's true, if the problem is within our hearts, is it not also true that these symptoms reveal our disease? We cannot triage a disease. If conflict keeps coming up, we have to look within ourselves. And I'm not saying that there isn't a time to cut someone off or to set boundaries, but first we have to look within our own hearts and see what, like, what's going on in my heart. Where, where's my part in this? This reminds me of a conversation that I recently had with my cousin. I have a cousin that is um, in recovery, and she's been sober for almost 13 years. And she sponsors a lot of people. She really has a heart for other people to find freedom from their addiction. And she said, Ashley, you know what I've seen is that um, all addicts, all people have what she calls character defects, which I would say, like, in, you know, in my language, I would say those, that's those heart issues. But she said, but Ashley, if an addict does not deal with their character defects, they will simply become addicted to something else. They will trade addiction for addiction. And you may be thinking, well, I'm not an addict. I don't, you know, I don't um, use substances in an unsafe or uncontrollable way. But I'll be willing to bet big money that those same character defects, those same heart issues that drive addicts to pick up a bottle or to pick up pills are the same character defects that we are walking around in our lives not dealt with. They're the same thing. We are chained to these sins. We are carrying on with the passions of our former ignorance. Like Peter said, managing behavior does not set anybody free. There must be a heart change. Trying to manage your behavior is like trying to train a lion. Now, here's what makes that hard. Triaging your symptoms feels right. It feels good. It's when we say, well, I can handle this. I'll stop. I've got this. I'm good. This person, that relationship, they're not right for me. I'm just going to go find a new one. Because it's easier to walk away and find a new group or to hide our sins from these people. Now these people have figured out like what my hangups are, so I'm going to go find these people because they don't know yet. But we cannot walk in freedom in that. Jesus is looking and saying, I have promised you abundant life, and that ain't it. We serve a God who says, I love you so much. I have so much more for you. Please, like, let's do the work. Now, if we think back to that positional holiness and that visible holiness that we talked about, I want you to think about it like this. I, so I have two daughters, Betty and Evelyn. And for this example, I'm going to use Betty. And, and conveniently enough, in her story, they joined our family through adoption. And so we, um, we stood before a judge in November and said, yes, we promise that we will love and care for her as our daughter for the rest of our lives. The judge signed it and it's forever. Like adoption decrees are written so that they are like, they are extremely hard to get out of. They're extremely hard to reverse. A judge signed it and it was done forever. We stood before you on Mother's Day and said, we promise to raise our kids, to raise Betty in a home that is filled with truth and grace in the hopes that one day she would accept Jesus as her savior. But if she comes to us at 15, and, and every, you know, every day I, I, we play in the sprinklers, we dig for bugs, I read books, and the whole time um, I, I enjoy every minute of it, but I'm thinking, oh, sweet girl. At the end of the day, I'm thinking, I want so much more for you than this. I want you to have an undeniable passion for the Lord. I want you to love and serve Jesus in such a big way. I want you to have an overwhelming joy that cannot be found anywhere on this earth but through Jesus Christ. But if she comes to me at 15, at 18, and says, 
forget you. Forget your faith. Forget everything you've ever taught me. I don't want a part of any of it. I would be devastated. And I would fast and I would pray and I would plead for the Lord. God, please be so undeniable to her. Show up in such a real way that it's undeniable. But if she does that, she's still my daughter. She's still my sweet girl. I would still want so much more for her. But her place as my daughter does not get taken away. But this sanctification, this this pursuit of holiness, this visible holiness that we're going after, we have to do that instead of going after the weeds. It is God saying, son, daughter, I have so much more for you than this. I have freedom. I have abundant life that is offered to you. Don't go around with the symptom. Pay attention to what's going on. Let me in. Ask me for my help in this. Let's walk towards freedom. Church, we have to stop mowing over these issues and triaging our symptoms. Another hurdle to our own sanctification is just covering it up. And that's very popular in the church world. It is, it is very easy for me to do, for me to say, I'm fine, everything's fine. We are good. We are all good. But there is a pull in our church life and in the greater Christian culture to adopt a language and a posture that is not our reality so that we can cover it up. But here's the thing. When Jesus went to the cross, he outed us. He outed us as sinners. We sh- there should be gladness in our weaknesses to say, yes, I am a sinner in need of grace every day. I still mess up every day. And you know what? God's grace is big enough to forgive me every day. Yet somehow we think that what brings God glory is for us to be super strong. And in in turn, what happens is we get glory. It's a momentary glimmer of glory that we have to keep chasing after, and the Lord doesn't. Sanctification is, is, is admitting, hey, I'm not there yet. Why should we pretend to be? One of the greatest things that we can do this week is to show up to our connect group, and if this is true, if this is what is on your heart, to show up and say, I don't get it. I'm really struggling. I don't know if I believe this. I don't know what this means, and I need help. Not just regurgitating what you heard in a sermon or what you heard a friend say, but to show up and just say it like it is. Your connect group, that's what it is there for, is to encourage you, to build you up, to take, they're not going to look at you and be, shame on you. You don't know that. You don't believe that. You're kidding. No. Your connect group is going to rally around you and say, hey, let's, let's talk about this. Let's work through this. To be honest about where we are gives us a shot to go somewhere else. And we're not going to go anywhere else until we can be honest, honest. When we refuse to be fully known, not only are, are we cutting ourselves off from that opportunity, but we are cutting ourselves off from experiencing the manifested grace of God. I have some friends that um, every week we ask those three questions that I mentioned um, a few months ago on Marco Polo. We just get on every week and we say, hey... What's God teaching you lately? What's hindering your walk with Jesus? And who have you told about Jesus this week? And when I answer those questions, especially number two, what is hindering your walk with Jesus? That is my opportunity for confession in that time. And when I confess, when I say, hey, I'm struggling in this, like this is hindering my walk, I usually get a follow-up a couple days later of someone saying, hey, how are you doing? Is that still, is that still an issue? How can I help you? Where's your mind? What are you thinking about? 
And when that happens, the tangible mercy and goodness of the Lord is on flesh and bone saying, Ashley, I have not given up on you. I have not abandoned you. You are being heard. I want to encourage you towards holiness. I want to encourage you towards right living. I am with you in this. I know what you're aiming for, and, I'm, and I love you. And so I'll wrap it up by saying this. Some of us are walking around chained to sins, to hurts, and hang-ups that we have carried for so long. Whether we are embarrassed to admit it, we don't know that there's freedom offered, or we're too prideful to admit it. We have forgotten that though we walk with Christ, we still sin, and that we need to deal with our sin. We have to quit covering up and quit mowing over our sin. It's dumb. Jesus, we, right, we don't quit sinning so that Jesus will love us more. We quit sinning so that we can find freedom in that. Let me, let me tell you, life is, a lot, life is a lot lighter. You have a lot lighter load to carry when you're not dragging and hiding all those sins and all those hangups that we're dealing with. We are gaining nothing but ourselves but shame and guilt and unnecessary pain. We are enslaving ourselves to things that we don't need to be enslaved to. Trouble, do you have trouble with sexual immorality? Confess it. Pride, confess it. Entitlement, confess it. Substance abuse, confess it. A need for control, a lack of trust in God, confess it. Because when we drag darkness to light, that is when there's healing. That is when the power of God is shown. Because we serve a God who loves us and wants so much more and has promised so much more than this. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you do offer so much more. And Lord, I pray right now, um, God, that you, for, for the times that even when I stand up here and I worry about what people are gonna think about me and are they gonna like me, Lord, even in that, I, I have fallen short. And God, I pray that, um, that you would just, that your grace would wash over all of us. That we would be reminded, Lord, that you are big enough. You love us enough that we can bring it all out. We can say it like it is. And we can trust, 100% trust you with all that we are. Hurts, hangups, habits, all of it. Because you can handle it. You did handle it. God, you are a good, good God. And I am thankful that you continue to redeem so that you can get the glory and not me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.